becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stood around a crowd. It's a dream that you to be I am kind of distorted. Okay. Is that good? Uh, I guess I'm muted. You know? I'm having a hard time. Yeah. Hello. Let's go with it. All right. We'll go with that. I think that. that Cheers again. Cheers. To the shores. To the shores. We're there. We're going. Man, did you hear those fighter jets flying around Austin today? Um, I want to say I did. <laughs> but, but will you say you did? <laughs> I don't know. Because I don't know if it was today or if it was yesterday. Or... No, today there was like three what looked to me like F-18s that flew over my house hmm. like three times. Oh, wow. And the sound was incredible. Wow. It was so loud. They were really low. It was cool. I was wondering if anybody else. Yeah, I wonder if there was like a. Witnessed this. The president was in town or somebody important like that. Oh yeah. Patrol in the skies mm-hmm. for other assassin aircraft. Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's like standard operating procedure. Do they, if the president, if air force one flies, do they always have fighter jet, uh, accompaniment? I believe so. Yeah. What would you call that? <clears throat> accompaniment, I believe. Um, that's pretty badass. Yeah. I always <laughs> like that. I don't watch my lot of sports, but I love the whole, jets flying over the stadium thing yeah I, mean, I used to work at jp's like you know right before the game the ut game the jets would always come oh really do they yeah. do that yeah i think they do it almost every game oh wow uh obviously i don't watch a lot so that's pretty cool <laughs> it is pretty cool uh, i haven't been in an air show in a long time that seems like that'd be fun to take the i've kids never to. been to one no i'd like to go we should find one yeah totally go to it i love love airplanes <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that uh, recent footage from the air show where they had like this old B-25 bomber and another plane flew into it and it cut it in half and mm-hmm. fell to the ground and exploded? Yeah. That was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems like with the internet, you just get to see all the horrific things all the time. It's like too much. Well, I don't even follow this one thing on Twitter. This It's like, it's people fighting. It just always shows up on my Twitter feed for some reason. Like fist fighting? Yeah, it's like it's like like you know, yeah, it's some sort of fist fighting. Do you watch the videos? I ended up watching. <laughs> the algorithm picks up on Probably it, keeps so. showing them to you. Well, I was just so. I, I, there I, is something fascinating about watching people fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we MMA has been huge. UFC, boxing is always a huge phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, it's. It is something. I mean, even back in the days of like, uh, you know, the Colosseum in Rome. Yeah, true. It's always kind of been a, something about violence and the catharticness of uh, maybe even crowd control in a sense. Um, <clears throat> did you watch that movie, uh, The Last Duel? Mm-hmm. Had Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and <clears throat> I can't remember the name of the, the woman. I hadn't seen her before. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was all about uh in like the 1300s in france i think and it's based on a true story this um woman who's married to i'm gonna get all these titles wrong but like married to whatever like a duke or something you know mm-hmm. and he's has this 
embroiled friendship with this other Duke and she accuses her husband's friend of raping her. Oh, wow. And basically he, the husband challenges, uh, the guy that's accused of rape to trial by combat. And mm-hmm. apparently it's like one of the last instance instances where the King allowed trial by combat. Mm-hmm. And basically the idea is she's saying you raped her. You're saying you didn't let's finish this, like settle this like a man, you know, fight me and whoever wins that determines the verdict. Yeah. And I think there's something really deeply terrifyingly true about that. Hmm. We live in, we live so far away from that kind of thing because we live in a society that well is civilized and we have the rule of law. We have a justice system, but from much of human evolution, it was like, if you and I disagree on something, one way to settle that disagreement is you and I fight and whoever wins determines the truth. You know, Mm. that's the decision. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that we don't live that way (laughs) anymore, but there is something maybe of that rooted in when, when people fight, it tends to get people's attention. Mm. You know, you think about like the kids on the school ground, schoolyard playground Mm -hmm. and they fight at what everybody circles around. They want to watch. What is this? There's something up maybe about like a morbid fascination in it, but maybe there's something deeper. Well, even if, if you take that to what we were talking about, I think last episode of like when Eric Weinstein was talking about how we should start doing, <coughs> sorry, um, uh, above ground nuclear testing. Right. It's, it's so whenever people experience it firsthand in the brutality of a fight, it's somewhat kind of, keeps people from doing it because the cost of doing that is very high. And sometimes you start to romanticize this idea of, you know, Oh, let's go fight, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when your friend gets boxed so hard that he's in a coma or, or, you know, bleeding profusely or something like that, that can kind of somewhat keep you from wanting to instigate. I mean, it's the same thing with like carrying a gun in the old West. It's like you, you thought twice before you engage somebody Mm -hmm. because, this could mean death because you know where it, uh-huh. it could go. Mm-hmm. We've kind of forgotten where things can go. Mm-hmm. Like with nuclear te- with nuclear arms, <clears throat> mm-hmm. if we see it in a way that's potentially not, you know, deadly yeah. as in a test, maybe it reminds us of the power that we are being, you know, potentially flippant about. Or even just whenever, you know, in high, in high school or middle school, it's like you get in a fight and usually at the end, many times they're friends afterwards, you know, or that at mm-hmm. least it's settled for a, a period of time because there's something about that physicality that kind of demonstrates that, you know, sort of weakness and, and, uh, and what it, what this actually, what the cost of that sort of action actually is. Right. There is something <clears throat> about violence that keeps things in line, keeps things in order. Mm-hmm even when it's not being um, currently enacted. Mm. We don't have to necessarily be fighting all the time for things to be kept in order, but the memory of a fight can make you step lightly enough, whereas things don't degenerate Mm. back into fighting. I mean, you can see that kind of anecdotally in, in San Francisco where wow, I'm not going to get punished for stealing less than a, a certain amount. I think it's $90 or Ten dollars. I don't know what what the the number is. Yeah. So the incentive to 
you know, whether it's the violence of being incarcerated or, you know, put in prison or something like that is sort of taken away. So then as a society, it seems that we do sort of become unruly in a sense, if there's not that threat to violence. I think that's an interesting point and maybe one that you and I have come to understand just by way of using it, but have never necessarily articulated it. And I find when I talk about similar things to other people and use the word violence, Hmm. uh, they think of like a brawl in the streets. But when we talk about societies and violence in the context of a society, violence can mean, um, locking someone up in prison. Hmm. Like, You've heard the the phrase, the state has a monopoly on violence in a society. They're the ones allowed to enact violence. And that could be everything from uh, preventing you from doing something that you want to do to preventing your movement at all by putting you in jail to fining you. What are other examples? I mean... In the broader context of violence. Yeah, I mean, everything from the death penalty to fines to... um, even, you know, I mean, I think that's a, there's sort of like this escalation that we kind of your property, taking your property, uh, I've been seeing that a lot on Twitter lately, t- people talking about paying property taxes. Mm, yeah. Like it basically means you never own your property. Mm-hmm. You know, you take out a loan to, to buy a house and you pay the bank, the bank owns the house. And then when you're done paying the bank, you pay the government mm-hmm. in taxes. So the government owns your property. And if you don't pay those, those taxes, the government takes her, takes your property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a really fine point. And, and to argue on the other side of that would be like, well, you are benefiting from the infrastructure around you. So you're paying for that, the roads, the um, electrical lines or, or whatever it is that, right. you know, public utilities. But you could argue like, well, I pay for that in my bill. That <laughs> Right. There's a, there's a lot of argument there, but there's that sort of like, are the, the, the freedom, the, the army, the military that protect that land from foreign invaders. Mm-hmm. And so Man, I want to talk to Michael Saylor about this. I feel like he'd have some good things to say. <laughs> I think he has said that Bitcoin is the only thing you can truly own mm. because there isn't anything else that you have that can't be taken from you by force. Mm. Whether that force is a government lawfully, um, lawfully taking something from you. Yeah. Like in a domain or something. Yeah. Because either they want it and they're, you know, they're going to take the eminent domain or Mm -hmm. you have broken the law in the government's eyes. And so they're going to seize your property, whether that's a house or, um, an asset of some kind, Mm -hmm. but Bitcoin, nobody can take from you by force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have to get your seed phrases from you. Right. (laughs) I mean, they could force you to, but, but you're the one who has to actually give it's it sort up. of the great, yeah. Greatest limit of force. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't come and take it from you with a gun. Yeah. They can threaten you, but you would have to voluntarily give them the access. Yeah. Cause with a property, you could just, they could just come in and forcefully remove you from, right. <laughs> from, yeah. the, from that. They can't well, remove <clears throat> you from your Bitcoin, which is interesting. Cause it's so far the, this, these analogies are so far from us in the West, especially in the United States. Like that just sounds ridiculous. It's like, no, my, my property is a great investment. They can't take that from me, you know, mm. but most countries around the world, that's just not true. <laughs> you know, mm. you can actually, 
And it's interesting too. We, <clears throat> I had someone, I had someone come in to talk about uh, Ethiopia this week. Uh, we've got a new. This is a plug. <laughs> we have a new Ethiopian uh, coffee dropping this uh, February first, and so dropping I had, like it's dro- a single. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, it's just as rad. It's li- and it's literally hot. <laughs> literally hot. Uh, anyways, he came and talked about Ethiopia and all the different tribes that make up Ethiopia and you know I think it was in the 70s or 80s they kind of defined them by boundaries and stuff and and how all these people were at war and and there's been peace at different times and how that's affected the coffee industry and uh it's just super fascinating that you know the things that we take for granted you know just getting our products to market hmm. Uh, and the, and the things that they have to go through in Ethiopia to get things out of the country and, you know, to us in the United States, just coffee wise is, uh, just pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you really see this in a lot of the coffee world is, you know, uh, civil war and people losing their farms or their neighbor coming over and basically burning all their trees. And, you know, that's your livelihood, right? There, there it goes, you know? And here we have recourse for someone comes and, you know, burns your, burns down my coffee shop. You know, it's like I have insurance and, and yeah. I can rebuild because the government's not going to allow that person to, you know, the police officers or whatever, not going to allow that person to keep doing that, you know? Right. Um, so, so we do benefit from some things from property taxes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you did, but do you really own it if you keep having, if mm-hmm. they, someone can take it from you? I mean, it does seem like though, like, so you could pose the question, would it be better if you didn't pay property taxes? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and I, you'd have to pay taxes in some other way, I, I suppose. Um, well, there's the extreme libertarian view is that you hire your own, police force to protect right. your, you know, your protect and then you your, got different people's <laughs> police security fighting each other. And I, it does seem like to have a functional community, you, you have to have shared investment mm-hmm. and that shared investment has to almost be mandatory. Yeah. That way we all have like a stick in the game, dog in the fight, <laughs> stick, stick in the, the game. game. What is that? Uh, Sweat in the games? No. no. Blood in the water. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, Anyways, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have a, a a guy in the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Texas, like your property taxes go to the education system. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and <clears throat> somebody may, who doesn't have kids maybe might complain about that. But it's to everybody's benefit that the community is well-educated. That makes everything better. And everyone should invest in that. Mm-hmm. And everyone should care largely about the the children of the community that they are being brought up <clears throat> and educated so that they can become successful individuals and give back to that community so that it can, continues thriving and mm-hmm. being a good place to be. Yeah, because those are going to, when you get old, those are going to be the doctors and the lawyers and the caregivers that are going to be taking care of you. So yeah, you know, there's a certain amount of investment in your future also. I'm just stuck on stick in the game. <laughs> 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 it's on the tip of my tongue honestly i, I can't get it though <laughs> um 
somebody out there is just like listening and screaming <laughs> <It's> only, <laughs> the correct colloquialism or whatever you call that. Which is funny. Like I, I, I do really love a lot of libertarian ideas, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's the law enforcement thing. I, I, that's one of the spots where I can, I jump off that train for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause I, it does seem like we do have to have a sort of a community involvement in, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, defunding the police and that a psychologist would be at certain instances or places, a social worker, a social worker. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it just doesn't make sense. Like there's like that person doesn't know what they're getting into. Like that, that could be a completely violent situation. Right. Oh, send the psychologist in, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's more of like after the fact, after everything has been calmed, uh, the situation has been assessed and then that's kind of when you bring in your social worker, you know? Yeah. They're not the ones to go into a, a heated moment when who knows what could go down. Well, I saw this uh, comedian <laughs> was telling this joke. Uh, you might have sent it to me. I don't know <laughs> about like being on an airplane and there was like some guy, some like big, that's a true story too. 250, yeah. 300 pound guy or whatever was yeah. like trying to open the hatch of the door mm-hmm. and they were trying to stop him. And I guess apparently the, like while they were flying or something, yeah, it doesn't matter. The point is the stewardess got on the like intercom and said, are there any strong, capable men that can come help us subdue this guy? so that he doesn't kill us all, you know? And he made the point, like, you'll notice she didn't say, are there any strong, independent women (laughs) on the plane? And it's like, there are situations that need violence to resolve. Mm -hmm. And you want, what is going on? I don't know. <laughs> this is like two episodes in a row here. <laughs> okay. All right. My dog has been <clears throat> saved from ingesting a box of chocolate cookies. <laughs> that would be, that would have been bad. Yeah, kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, y- violence is necessary. Well, it seems like it's so hard for us to comprehend that in our modern world and maybe Western or, you know, world that, that there is a place for violence mm-hmm. and, and it seems like the places that they're trying to take that threat of violence. And again, what we mean by violence is incarceration or uh, sub- subduing or somebody that has the ability to uh, use extreme force like a police officer. Like right. most <clears throat> of the time police officers do not use extreme force, right? but there is the capability and threat of that. And so there's a sort of escalation of what violence that they do or can uh, take into a situation, mm-hmm. you know, and the places that have tried to restrict that seem to be, and again, this is anecdotally seem to be deteriorating more and more. Right. And you see this in your kind of Portland and San Francisco areas specifically uh, in LA. And when you don't enforce the rules, and I think it's scary because I, and I think it's rightfully so. And I understand the other side of that because it is scary because that is, there's, there's a sort of, uh, I don't know, not injustice to it, but maybe unfairness too. Mm-hmm. you know, that's that there's circumstances that we don't understand or know that this person is going through. However, they are creating, uh, acts of, 
you know, vandalism or, uh, you know, like the guy who was spraying the homeless, homeless person on the street with a hose, you know, he got, uh, he got taken to jail Mm -hmm. and, you know, you could, you could, you could definitely say like, you know, maybe he shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, when you have a whole bunch of homeless people in front of your business, people don't want to come into your business. And I've experienced that with, you know, on Guadalupe is like, you know, we have a lot of different seasons, but you know, where, you know, you'll have homeless people out front right? and people, I mean, whether you, you can fault them or not, they just don't feel comfortable coming into your space when it's like that. Mm -hmm. And well, I think there's a, there's, there's a response that I think comes probably out of a place of compassion. Mm -hmm. So using this scenario of the man trying to open the hatch on the plane and they're Mm -hmm. saying, we, we need some strong, capable men to come subdue this guy. You might say, well, And so I'm using that to make a case that you want, well, you want strong, capable men because they can contend with violence. Um, And you might say, well, there's no place for violence in a society. So, okay, well, what do we do about this guy who's attempting to take down the plane or whatever? And the compassionate response, I think, imagines some sort of utopia where people don't end up in a position where they're trying to do insane things like that. And so they say, you might you might say, well, his his life circumstances and the structure of society failed him in so many ways that it's really society's fault that he was doing the violence in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you try to make a plan to rejigger society such that no one ever does anything wrong, I guess is like the end point of that. That's the utopian mm-hmm. vision, but you can't do that because at the root of everything is the human condition, the human heart. And as Solzhenitsyn famously said, the line between good and evil is drawn down the heart of every man. Mm. It will always be there to contend with. Mm. And so I think the follow-up move, since you can't do that, like I think technically you can't you can't remake society such that these bad things don't happen. And so the the follow-up move in our time seems to be well let's redefine everything such that it's not bad anymore. Which you also can't do. Mm-hmm. Um like we'll just <laughs> We'll redefine what are some of the popular like redefinitions of words over the last several years. Like we're going to redefine the word Oof. woman so mm-hmm. that things which are being kept out of that category can be included. We're going to redefine the word vaccine so that things that we want included in that category and the protections of that category can be included. Mm-hmm. Racist. Racist. I mean, a, a very terrifying one that I don't think many people are aware of is the current move to, I mean, it's normalizing, Mm -hmm. right? That's the attempt. Let's try to normalize everything such that nothing is outside of normal and then nothing's bad. Yeah. So if we can, if we can redefine everything that we currently see as bad as not bad, because we put it in some category, which has protections around it. Mm. Well, maybe we can construct the utopia that way, but the current one, which is very terrifying is the attempt at normalizing pedophilia. Hmm. And have you seen some of the redefinitions that are happening in that space? Um, 
Uh, maybe not specifically to what you're talking about. I've heard some different, you know, even the re- there's like three actual classifications of pedophilia or like and stuff right. like that. But well, I, I'm not going to be able to do this this subject too much justice um, because it's really serious and it kind of terrifies me so much that I it's like I don't want to accept that this is really happening, mm-hmm. but it is actually really happening. And I'll just give you two pieces of evidence for this. And um, Brett and Heather are actually on their most recent Dark Horse podcast do a pretty mm-hmm. good job of conveying the weight and, and really the evil of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but pedophilia was always called pedophilia. And then more recently, they have tried to rename it as minor attracted person, hmm. MAP. Hmm. So there's an attempt to try to make ped- pedophilia something like a sexual orientation. Interesting. Like that way they can include it in LGBTQ. Oh, wow. And now there's protections around it and maybe it's actually not bad. It was really just your bigotry that was saying that it was bad. Hmm. Right. Um, and that move was bad enough, but, uh, recently there's been a move to actually not put the title on the adult because hmm. the adult is the pedophile. The child is the victim, mm-hmm. right? But if we're going <clears> to <throat> redefine minor a pedophile, the adult as minor attracted person, the next move is to give an identity to the child hmm. who we're trying to, or, or the person engaging in this sophistry is uh, trying to include the child in some of that protection when really we should be protecting the child from the sexual predator. Yeah. So naming the child an adult attracted minor as if this is just the way that the child is sort of like, well, we're saying that this 14 year old girl says she's a boy. So she really is a boy. Hmm. Well, maybe we could say that she really is attracted to this, you know, this 14 year old girl really is attracted to this 45 year old. Hmm. And that that's some sort of valid, there's some validity to that. Yeah. And that's a horrifically dangerous game. Um, and it is preying upon, well, those who cannot protect themselves hmm. and normalizing everything into essentially not needing the protection. I mean, this is a whole other kind of violence. Yeah, it's, there's, certain, there's a certain amount of like, it used to be where, you know, we we protected our kids. And I think that's something that, like, I think probably in the West, we, we overly protected our kids in a sense. And this is sort of like maybe a backlash to that. And we kind of think that our kids are capable of a lot more than what they actually are. Hmm. Um with these, with these, uh, you know, sexualizing kids before they're before puberty, you know, it's like, you, it's like before puberty, your hormones and, you know, all that stuff is like, it hasn't really kicked in. So it's like, there's a part that we need to, there's a certain logical, even scientific aspect of keeping a lot of that stuff out until kids are beyond puberty mm-hmm. and into their more adulthood right. <clears throat> because you don't know what that means until, after puberty, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know, up until, I mean, you know, 10, 12, you're still sort of like, you start to kind of see like, Oh, boys or girls, you know, it's like, but up until then you're pretty much the same almost, <laughs> yeah. you know, guys start being more defined and, 
and, you know, building muscle mass and, and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. I don't know how this kind of comes into the violence part, but you know, that there is that part of protecting the innocence of our children and allowing them to be, to grow and to prosper in a way that's healthy that a lot of kids don't get this, don't get to have around the world. Like they have to work early, you know, like mm-hmm. two or three and not just like do chores, but like, you know, uh, or starving or, or whatever it might be. Well, there's a lot of threads there. I feel a little out of my depth. Honestly, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I feel like there's too many things that are like hot topics that if we don't spend enough time on and really, and we just kind of gloss over them, it could be, it's, it's not really doing it justice. Well, maybe a direction I'd like to take it because there is a, a, I think what we were just describing is a need for violence. There's a pathological way in which you can try to avoid the need for violence almost by perhaps while never exposing anyone into a situation where violence might occur. Mm -hmm. But that's a problem because how much would you have to shelter and hide and coddle someone in order for them to never encounter violence. And and would that be good for them? Hmm. You know, would it be good for me to keep my children just at home hmm. all the time? You know, even the Amish have this idea, like they're pretty sheltered, right? And, but they, they have the, what's it called when goose lagging is what I want to say. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> uh, Rumspucking. Yeah. Something like that. Like. Yeah. <laughs> where the kids basically go out and, do whatever they want mm-hmm. to try to determine whether or not they want to live differently. And if they do, then they are ostracized and mm-hmm. they leave. Um, but you need to encounter the world. Like the world's there. It's no good to stay inside. Mm-hmm. But when you go outside, well, what are you going to need? You're going to need some resilience and you're going to need some strength because things are going to come at you. And this is this whole idea of, um, well, we've talked about it before. Like, um, adversity. Hmm. You, it's like if you want strong muscles, you have to engage them against something hard. And why would you want strong muscles? Hmm. You know, well, because you're going to encounter things that are hard and you want to be ready for that. Hmm. And your body's built for it. Yeah. Right. Like it, I mean, the more common reason people say that they work out is because it makes them feel good, Mm -hmm. you know, because it feels good to be strong. I mean, it feels good to be strong because you're much more capable and you're much more strong and you can encounter a lot more adversity and successfully navigate it. Mm. But in order to do that, you have to encounter the adversity. It's, you don't get that in a vacuum, you know, so you have to be exposed. What's interesting too, I mean, just time immemorial, you know, and taking out the aspect of corruption in this too, but we've always had armies that protect lands, you know, a police force of some sort. Uh, and you, they've, they've been called different things. It's most time it's just an army that would, you know, further on back in the day that kind of maybe acted as a police force, but we've always, we're always recognized that there is adversity that could sort of, um, 
destabilize the world that we know it, our city, our community, our country. Right. And so it's, it's too late to form an army after you've already been attacked. <laughs> so there's also this idea of like, we must always be prepared and yeah, because violence is not something that is, is ever absent. In fact, you know, probably becomes more, uh, more possible the less you are ready. There's a sort of like tit for tat type thing where, you know, in a community where people understand what it means to sort of give and receive and are doing it fairly. Well, that community actually makes it wide open for somebody who's going to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's just human nature. It's like you, you, you will have people that do that and they will dominate. Few people will dominate the whole, the many in that kind of situation. Uh, until the rest of the community wakes up and becomes more vigilant mm-hmm. and maybe takes um, takes action against those maybe those few but it's just funny how few people it actually takes to subdue a community that is maybe more forgiving and you know less less prepared for that more mm. uh, extreme example of being taken advantage of or violence in that sense you know mm-hmm. um so, I mean, it's kind of sad. It's like, you kind of wish we could all just, you know, get along and, <laughs> yeah. and have a, this, a logical conversation. Like with the guy who was open, Hey, sir, you know, if you open that up, you know, it, it's going to kind of suck us all out and we're going to die. Right. So it'd be really great if you wouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh man. You know what? You make so much sense. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, there was something else going on there right. and a psychologist is not the person you're going to want to. <laughs> well, to your point, like, late, like later. Yes. Yeah. Once mm-hmm. the threat has been neutralized. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your point too, about whether it's a military or a militia or whatever, you know, I don't think we really in the U S think all that much about our military. Mm-hmm. Maybe these days just because we don't really see them mm-hmm. like, and I think everybody accepts the need maybe except for, I don't know how common this is, but I have heard people I know basically say like the U S shouldn't be the world's superpower. Mm-hmm. Someone else would be better at it. There's a lot of anti American sentiment, I think floating around, even if it's not sort of like pointed or articulated, but okay, we need a military. Well, our military should be prepared and prepared for what and how prepared. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is something like, as like w- we would expect our military to be prepared enough that there isn't any fight that they lose. Mm-hmm. If they lost a fight, we would say, well, you weren't prepared enough, you know? Yeah, that's, And I think there's something like it makes sense in the military context context, but I also think that it's what's true of each of us individually. And that isn't just about strength and violence. It's, it's about anything that comes at you in your life. Like, I think there is something you can, I don't know, tell me this is just off the cuff of, of my mind here, but I think especially for men, we want our, 
like for me, when I think, okay, I want to be a good man and I'll just sort of take for granted that that's something that I want and not Mm -hmm. necessarily unpack that. But I think most people somewhere want to be good and I want to be a good man. And what does that mean? You know, one possible definition for that is, well, I should be prepared for whatever happens, whether that's a flat tire or my kid getting in a fight at school or losing a job, you know, or, you know, the, the full list of things Mm -hmm. that's part of what it is to be a good man is I've, I've, I have prepared for the unknown essentially so that we can successfully navigate it safely. And part of that is making sure that my body's in shape because part of the unknown is maybe I've got to fight somebody at some Mm -hmm. point or be at least be strong enough to successfully neutralize the situation with the threat of that. You know, it, it's been a while since I've been in that situation, but you know, it happens all the time at bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like, yeah. I mean, if there's a, there's a, if there's a physical altercation, you know, most of the time it's going to be like, uh, with your significant other, it's going to be, you're going to be the protector as a man for the most part. Uh, there might be exceptions to that. <laughs> but. Yeah. Well, cause I don't think it's the same for women. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that to be a good woman, you need to be prepared for the flat tire. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be, and that, that would be a good thing for you to know and to do. But I mean, it's sort of like, well, I don't have to be prepared for a threat from Russia mm-hmm. as a citizen of the United States. It's like, we have our military for that. Mm-hmm. So I can go about focusing on my community. I think there's something similar between men and women is like, if I have a woman in my life, I don't want her to have to be prepared for a fight or prepared for a flat tire or, um, I think a flat tire is a bad example. Do yeah. you think it's a bad example? Okay. Yeah. Um, cause I definitely re- want my girls to be prepared replace, for a flat tire. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> replace an alternator. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but it's like, I want the woman in my life to be well, uh, focused on, I think you're having a hard time with this because it's, it's not politically correct. <laughs> well, there is that part, but, um, there's a certain role that men have played throughout time in history. And a lot of that is, is challenged today in both a good way and also probably a, uh, a bad way in a sense in that, you know, men do have a certain physicality that in extreme situations, men are the one who go, go off to war. And are there some or are a few women that, uh, that can and will do that? Yes. But generally speaking right. as a whole, men are the ones who go, go to war. And it's a lot of it comes down to the physicality of what that means to mm-hmm. go to war because it's not just, it's not a mental thing. It's not an emotional thing both those are there. It's a physical thing that we do. Now you could maybe even say like modern warfare. I was like, now you just have to drive drones and you know, it's, it's separate from physical altercation, but at some point it becomes physical altercation. Well, I I'm trying to pull it a bit away from the physical altercation side of things. Okay. So maybe here's a, um, try this example. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I was married, um, it was like year 
two maybe of our marriage and we had bought this house here in Austin, this mm-hmm. old um, frame house, uh, pier and beam. And there was a smell under the house and it was getting worse and worse for days. And at first I thought it was like some mold or bacteria under the sink area. And then finally I had this epiphany that there was something dead under the house. Mm. And I, you know, and, and the space, under you know under the <laughs> under the house yes. is only like a foot and a half high and so i crawled under the house <laughs> and in the very center of the house is this dead possum yeah and okay established that the possum is there the smell was horrific it's the middle of summer so it's like 110 degrees and uh all right i gotta deal with this now mm-hmm. you know and there was something in me that was like you're just gonna have to suck it up mm-hmm go crawl in there and get the damn thing and pull it out. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing in me thought, Hey honey, you want to rock paper scissors for this terrible task? (laughs) You know, it's like, Uh, no, you go do that. Yeah. Go face that horrible thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's something about men and whether we're asked to, or we do it, we put it on ourselves, which I think it's, both simultaneously, but there is something about being a man where it's like, I want to be prepared to do things I don't want to do Mm. to encounter gross things. I don't want to encounter, which, you know, you have encountered a lot. Like you were talking last week about replacing the toilet. Like that's, it's kind of a gross task, you know, Uh but it's like, you know, just suck it up and get it done. Could you call someone and spend the money? Could I have called someone and spend the money to pull the raccoon out or the, the possum out? Yeah. Could I have asked my wife to do it? Yeah. Would have been a shitty thing for me to ask her to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. For anybody who doesn't laugh at that, like, it is, I don't know who you are. Like, yeah. I don't know any man that would say, hey, honey, would you right. go pull the possum out from underneath? There well, might be a few, but like. Just to finish that story quickly. <laughs> I So what I decided to do was um, <coughs> to lay out a trash bag next to it and roll it onto the trash bag mm-hmm. and then drag it out. Mm-hmm but I'm on my belly underneath the house and I lay out the trash bag and I decided I was kind of looking around. I was like, am I just going to grab this thing with my hands? And it's like rotting. And I saw this sort of pipe, loose pipe just laying on the ground. And I thought, okay, I'll use the pipe to kind of push it over. And as I pushed onto it, it just punctured into the belly (gasps) and just like everything came out. The smell (laughs) got 10 times worse. And I swear to God, somehow I picked the thing up, put it in the bag, stood up and ran out of there, <laughs> even though it was only a foot and a half feet high. Uh-huh. Um, it was terrible. Wow. Terrible experience. But there is something about having gone through that. Mm-hmm. It is about, it's, it's the adversity. It's the resistance. It's okay. I dealt with it. I got it done. It sucked but I survived and the problem was solved in the most efficient manner mm-hmm. in the least costly manner. And so now I know something. I know that if I encounter another problem like that, I can deal with it. Mm-hmm. That makes me a stronger person. It makes me, I think a better person, a better man. And I'm so I tend to, at least on my good days, when I think about those sorts of things that I don't want to do, I think, okay, okay, if I move through this, then I will be better for it. Hmm. Well, I think there's also something primal and, and biological and, and 
even evolutionary psycho- psychological for so many great words there. Uh, you know, as far as the men, how, what role men, man, men have played throughout time is a lot of times, you know, again, just historically, like women would be uh, usually the caregivers of the, of the children would either be pregnant or have a baby in their, in their care. Right. And so it was required of men to do, do those things, whether it be protecting their clan or their cave or, or their surroundings and going out into the unknown, the danger and bringing back food. And I think there's something sort of psychologically wired in us that, that that's a role that we need to play and should play. And I think that's part of whenever we encounter this modern world where that role seems less important, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things, there's been a few instances that I've been kind of seeing going across the, you know, internet and Twitter where it's, where, you know, you know, we're not talking about equality as far as plumbers are, are concerned. Like, having equal amount of women plumbers as right. men plumbers or electricians or, you know, ditch diggers or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we only want to talk about equality in these high profile jobs that, right. um, and it is, there's a reason why that, that most of those jobs that are maybe less desirable are generally filled by men. And I think that's because that's sort of biologically wired into us that to take care of these harder, um, less praiseworthy jobs and positions mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to a sense, you know, it's like, because again, like, you know, just thinking along the evolutionary lines is, you know, was it 20% of men reproduce, you know, or have, have a larger percentage of, uh, children than most other men. Uh, I'm screwing that. Say that again. <clears throat> Uh, I, I know I'm screwing it up, but it's, it's basically like there's a very small percentage of men that actually reproduce right. throughout time. And I think it's like 20% or even less, you know? I didn't know it was that low. I mean, the entry point into that idea that I use is mm. you have twice as many female ancestors as you do male ancestors. Mm. Yeah. Basically, all the women reproduce and about half of the men do. Mm-hmm. So where are you getting this... Uh, like 20% or even less. I don't know. That's why I'm screwed. I'm, okay. I'm definitely like, wait, I, <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's ridiculous in that it's still very extreme. No matter how you look at it, but whether it's 50 or 20, it doesn't matter because what well, does matter. But, hmm. um, just that well, women have a more powerful position in society than men do generally speaking. Yeah. We should spend a minute on that idea because hmm. that's so heterodox. Hmm. Like, Anytime I've raised that idea, well, especially around women, mm. they get very upset. <laughs> well, I think because it's, it's a lot of times that, that we're thinking when we're talking about that, we're talking about very specific spaces and ideas that, you know, uh, like maybe in the workplace or uh, the right to vote. I mean, there's I think there's some definitely areas that we have made huge strides in and that are good and healthy, too. Right. You know? uh, one is that. You know, just because a woman likes to wear pants and jeans doesn't mean she's a man. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's first wave feminism right there. You know, or first or second wave feminism yeah. is like it's not whether I like Barbie dolls or 
dressing or makeup. Like, yeah, that doesn't you, make me a woman. You would call those regressive stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And you're actually seeing yeah. them come back, <laughs> which is interesting. But on the other side, mm-hmm. like a man can literally be a woman just by subscribing to the regressive stereotypes. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucked up to me. Yeah. And I don't see... It's hard for me to understand how women across the board aren't just absolutely offended by that. Well, also just whenever it's for women that they've spent, it's really those who came before the women of today, like spent so much of their hard earned time and energy trying to get away from those stereotypes. And it seemed like up into the 21st century, we had somewhat overcome a lot of that where a woman can wear pants, <laughs> you know, and like, and that's not a weird thing. You know, again, these are all symbolic type stuff. Well, can you make your case for why you said women are more powerful than men in society? Well, I mean, number one is they're the choosers you know, outside of like, you know, extreme circumstances of, of rape or, you know, forceful interaction, but society is always okay. has made a point to protect women. Uh, whether it be the courtship, chaperones, uh, because the world was very dangerous and, and the, the forcefulness of someone coming and taking you for their wife or, you know, uh, sexually assaulting you mm-hmm. uh, was a lot greater uh, prior to having all these laws and, and police forces <clears throat> and stuff like that that had somewhat preserved that. And, you know, that's built into a lot of religions. Um, uh, I mean, there's also some, I mean, not to get onto like the, the, there's also some very repressive stuff that happens in those situations. But, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, women kind of have had a lot of power and, and how even with their husbands, I mean, I think sex is a huge part of that. You know, it's like, you know, women have control over who they reproduce with and choose for the most part. Wow. I'm like, I'm, I'm jumping around from like error to error in my head and like all the different <laughs> variables within that. Like I, I see how these things can be right. torn apart, but then I also see that, um, you, you see this in, you know, not just human communities, but also, you know, the animal kingdom apes and monkeys and that kind of stuff and how, how they reproduce and that yeah, you're going so broad. It's, I know, I, it, it, but it's hard to do this. It's hard to do this because, um, I, I can think of so many like variables of, 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 so I'm trying to go general, more general and more general because as you get more specific, then, then it starts to become, uh, more vulnerable to attack. Yeah, exactly. The argument is, mm-hmm. Well, the the couple things I just want to try to pull out and make clear, um, when you say women choose, Mm -hmm. so that, that paired with the idea that, well, I mean, that is true. Women choose their sexual partners. They are choosy about their sexual partners. Mm -hmm. Men tend not to be, um, men tend to have sex with whoever will have sex with them. And we're talking at a population level, right? That that means that more women reproduce than men. So some men don't re- about half men don't reproduce at all. And the other half have broadly their choose of their choice of the women. 
So there's some weird power dynamics there, but the, on the macro, that means that the population is shaped by the willful choice of women, which makes women much more powerful than men in shaping society. And you might say, well, you know, the, the sort of straight white male in government art argument, which I think is kind of, it's not really true anymore. But even if that were still true, there's only so much that government can do. There's only so much that, you know, women can just replace the whole population with the, with the DNA of their choice. Like that's a fucking crazy power. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the other idea is the, the prize idea. Like if you ask any woman, well, who's the prize in the relationship, the man or the woman, the woman, you know, man's going to say the same thing. Why is that? Hmm. And without making the case for it, for why that is, I mean, I think there's a really good reason for it that has to do with masculinity and femininity, but even without making that case, it's like so many behaviors follow from that. You want to be the prize. I want you to be the prize. Well, what do you do with a prize? Hmm. You know, if it's, you, you don't take a prized possession and toss it in the bed of your truck, you know, you protect it, you care for it. Hmm. And this is back to our conversation earlier about like, well, there's such a thing as too much care. Maybe we call that repression or even oppression. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something there that has pathological bents, but I think at least in the core of it is, well, you, you know, and maybe one of those is just like really old school ideas. Like the woman is traded away in marriage with a dowry. Mm. Well, that seems like a pretty prized position, you know, and you might not like it and maybe it, it was not good and whatever, but, <clears throat> um, and then I guess the third thing that I thought in, in terms of women being more powerful than men, it's like how imagine the most powerful man that you can think of. Is there a woman who could get into his ear and manipulate him? A hundred percent. So I think men and women share the yoke of power mm. in a cooperative way. And in, in our, in our very, narrow in a very narrow field of view it might look like men are more powerful than women but when you can take the most powerful man and he could be manipulated by a woman it's not clear who's more powerful Hmm. and that paired with the idea that women can literally replace the entire population i just that's my case for it (laughs) and so be it like i'm glad for that i'm glad that women are more choosy than men are sexually you know and i'm glad that we are not subject to the power of a man hmm. that there are, that that man can be, you could say manipulated, but I could also say corrected. I could hmm. say, uh, steered for the good. Mm-hmm. You know, what's that phrase behind every powerful man is a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it should be, I get very nervous about single men in positions of power. Oh, true. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you definitely, when you think of a leader, it's like you, you want somebody who has kids mm-hmm. and, and you want to know if they were a good husband. Yeah. Because if they're a good husband, then they know how to treat their wives and take care of them. Like, I think that's one reason why we even had a, a, a really hard time with Trump. Like he didn't really give you that sort of feel good feeling that, mm-hmm. you know, 
He might have been a great dad. I have no idea. Maybe even a great husband. I well, have no idea. Well, that's an interesting anecdote from my life on the Trump, that, that front. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, when he was first running for uh, president, I was, along with pretty much everyone else that I know, like fairly appalled at the idea of him becoming president and fairly mm-hmm. appalled when he won. And But it's interesting, my, both of my parents are psychologists and, um, you know, back in those 20, early 2016, 2017 days, there was a lot of talk about all of Trump's faults and sins and mm-hmm. everybody was saying he was a narcissist and it seems sort of like self-evidently true. But my mom mentioned something. She said, you know, it's interesting, like <clears throat> I'm watching him give these debates or these speeches or whatever. And she was very anti him as well and voted for Hillary. Not that that matters, but I feel compelled to say it. Um, <clears throat> but she was like, I'm not watching him. I'm watching the kids. Hmm. And she's like, kids that grow up with narcissistic parents don't act the way that these kids act. Oh, fascinating. And so she's like, I don't know, but that's interesting. Hmm. You know, and I have had some experiences with narcissistic people and I can say that makes sense to me because you are either like completely bulldozed by a narcissistic person or you get away as quickly as you can and as far as you can. Mm-hmm. And his kids don't act that way. So is he a narcissist? I don't know. Maybe in some ways. I mean, we've, we've broadened yeah. the definition of that term so much, yeah. but you know, I, to your point about being a good father, like your kids are evidence in mm. some sense of your character mm. and whatever may or may not be true about you. There is something deeply true about you, which you can observe by seeing your children. Mm. Yeah. And that's, ter- that's, that's terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like they go out into the world and they make their own decisions and, and you know, a part of them is our job is to prepare them for that. Right. Um, I feel like we should have, we should have had a Allison on the, this, uh, this discussion with us to kind of maybe balance us out in this area. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we didn't know we were going to talk about this. No, we didn't. We know that at all. Well, I think it's, it, I really do have a hard time with this. I have four girls and, and one boy and, and it's really interesting when I think of, uh, them going into the future and, and what I want for them and, and, and then to, to see what, what they choose for themselves. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I want my daughters to be very capable and to change the top, to be able to change a tire, you know, and, right. and to know that kind of stuff. And, um, but I also know because uh, <laughs> I'll just say, uh, Elia, you know, there's a sort of idea it's like, well, why can't a woman do that or something like that? I'm like, no, she can. But, you know, there's actually like violence that happens. And, you know, there's a reason why going down a dark alley by yourself is different for a guy than yeah, it is for a girl. Right. <clears throat> and I want you to know why that is because you mm-hmm. need to be aware that some people will use physical violence against you and they are stronger. Hmm. Well, that's another, most men are stronger than most women. Well, but even back to the idea of women versus men Mm. as objects of, Ooh, that was a dangerous thing to say. Objects of value. Mm. Yeah. So I have a friend who this is years ago, uh, got mugged on sixth street. Hmm in an alley, mm-hmm. this guy got the shit beat out of him. His wallet stolen, whatever. He was fine. But then again, 
that response is kind of the right response. It's like you were probably drunk and being a dumbass and like not watching your shoulder or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, glad you're not hurt too bad, you know, whatever. But if that was a woman friend of mine, I think I would be somehow deeply offended or, de- or deeply disturbed, <clears throat> you know, if it's my daughter, even more so, mm-hmm. you know, in general society doesn't have the, the appetite to see violence inflicted on women. Mm. We don't tolerate it. When it happens to men, it's kind of like, you know, well, it's, it's not good, but you know, men are much more disposable mm. and that's kind of a difficult thing to swallow. And men can have sort of understandably negative despondent reactions to that. But there's also something like, well, biologically, something biological about that. I mean, like half the men don't even reproduce mm-hmm. like from a macro standpoint, all those men were disposable, mm-hmm. you know, their lineage is just ended. Yeah. So you kind of, as a man have to accept that and say, well, I'm disposable. I'm going to do as much good as I can while I'm here. Or even it's more inspiring to make yourself more useful. Yeah. So, so I'll be useful mm-hmm. while I can. Mm-hmm. Whereas women aren't that way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They aren't disposable. Well, it's like they're inherently, I mean, again, when we're talking about the continuation of the species and, you know, generations and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that they have the biggest impact on what our next generation will be and can be, you know, very few men have that impact. Right. Of what the next generation is for that very reason that most women reproduce and have children. Most of the men don't. Mm hmm or half a men or whatever percent. However, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really glad we tackled this because I, I, you know, our audience, if you've made it this far, uh, we're fumbling around a lot, but there's, there's some really f- f- fundamental parts of this that I think as a society, like we do still need to grapple with and kind of relearn, I think. And, yeah. and <clears throat> even in our modern context, because there's a, there's a lot of things that have changed for the good and there's a lot of things that we're still trying to work out on how we're going to move into the future yeah. with. And I think it's a hard for, I mean, a lot of, I've, I've talked to quite a few people about these types of things and we all kind of have a hard time understanding and working through what that means. So mm-hmm. I think these type of conversations need to keep kind of moving forward, especially especially our kids are going in. I mean, that's what I think I'm, I'm trying to work through these thoughts and ideas because I, these are things I'm trying to teach my kid. What's, what's important for them to know, to move into the future mm-hmm. with. And I, I think it's, I have a hard time with doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, I like us ta- tackling this today. Agreed. Any, uh, any final words or thoughts? No, I think it's a good place. Good. To end it. Good. <laughs> <Right> <laughs> we on. agree. Uh, thank you guys. <laughs> Cheers. To the shores. Love you all out yeah. there. Thanks for listening. See you guys. Bye.